Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This show is supported by its listeners on Patreon. If you want to support the show as well, you can go to patreon.com slash Club and become a patron. They are all awesome and you could be too. Hey everyone, this is The Phileas Club, episode number 101 for December 2017. Trickle, uh, supply side economics. Hello everyone and welcome back to the Phileas Club. This is episode number 101 for December 2017. My name is Patrick Beja and on this show what we do is we get people from different parts of the world together every month and we discuss the news that's been happening in our local newspapers, the things that have been reported and hopefully when we talk about it we get some different perspectives on all of those uh, important topics or sometimes not so important. And uh, today I am welcoming two uh, wonderful hosts, uh, one who has been here a few times before. Welcome back, Tony. How's it going? Going very well, Patrick. Thank you for having me. Uh, always a huge pleasure. Uh, just a reminder, you are from the East Coast of the US. So you bring the America to the Phileas Club uh, when you're on. So thank you for being on. Um, My pleasure. And uh, also a newcomer, uh, Louis whose name I'm pronouncing the English way, but I'm sure he will pronounce it in a much more charming way, who's from Portugal. How's it going, Luis? It's going great. Thank you. Uh, I call myself Luis, but uh, you can call me Luis. It's, it's fine. <laughs> Luis. Is, is that better? Luis. Luis? Uh, any way you want to. I always, you know, I, I always try to pronounce uh, the names the proper way. I don't always succeed, but I think it's uh, it's good to try and do it. Um. And first of all, I need to thank both of you for uh, being very patient with me because I was. we were talking about this before the show began. Uh, I think I have baby brain. My, my wife is very, very pregnant. We're expecting uh, basically any time now. And I was like an hour and a half late for the show and completely panicked. And I feel so sorry <laughs> because I didn't realize we had planned for this time. And you guys very kindly waited and um, and were still available when I finally showed up. So thank you very much for uh, being patient with me. <laughs> um, and Tony, you were telling me that usually it's the mom that gets baby brain and the dad doesn't have the right <laughs> to claim that excuse. Well, that's the the joke we've had. As you know, I've got three kids here, and uh, we've had that joke ever since our first pregnancy. That 
anytime something happened, anytime she forgot something, we always said the baby was eating her brain. But um, <laughs> just just so you know, I didn't exactly wait patiently. I went back to sleep and uh, woke up when my phone started vibrating. So, but I'm still happy to be here. <laughs> oh my God, that's even worse. I actually got you to wake up because obviously in the US it's much earlier than it is for us here in Europe. I got you to wake up, didn't show up. You went back to sleep and I woke you up again and you woke up. Oh my, I'm, I feel so bad. I feel so bad. That's no problem. I would be up on a normal day. I just had a vacation day, but I'm, I'm so you it's know, even it's, worse. it's all good. It's, I'm wasting <laughs> I'm just your vacation day. <laughs> <laughs> well, Tony, at least you weren't sleeping. Uh, I mean, Lewis, uh, at least you weren't sleeping and I didn't really no, wake it, you up. I'm pretty much on your time zone. I'm just a uh, one hour late earlier than you. So yeah. it's lunch time for me. Okay. All right. So I only wasted your lunch. That's, that's more acceptable. Um, I had a yogurt. I'm fine. <laughs> so yeah, it's been, it's been a, a crazy few weeks now because we're getting ready uh, for the baby to arrive. And uh, we've been doing a lot of things uh, to prepare and like the bed is ready and we bought the products and the clothes. And I've been getting, I mean, Lewis, you don't have kids, right? Uh, no, no, I don't. Um, but Tony, you have three, as you said, so, so you can maybe back me up on this. I've gotten like into a mode where the closest I get to the actual birth, uh, first of all, we went to birth preparation and it, it was awesome because it, it, now I'm ready kind of for the whole thing. But, um, the most important thing is that I'm getting into baby mode where anytime I see anything vaguely related to a baby, I get super emotional. It's like I get hormones up the, the, the wazoo. And like last time, uh, a couple of days ago, I was adding, uh, buying additional baby bottles, which by the way, Amazon now knows we're expecting. And so it's off giving me like tons and tons of baby products to purchase as, as uh, you know, recommendations. But I was buying additional bottles um, and we we uh, there was a video where they were explaining so oh here is the thing that uses this technology to do that and they were showing babies that that are feeding and i saw the babies feeding and i was like oh my god they're so cute and i, and I completely melted so i don't know if that's my feminine side <laughs> you know rising to the top or if it happens to everyone or i don't know but i'm nah. yeah I, I, uh, I'm sure I did the same thing. Now my oldest is eight, so it's been a long time since, right. you know, the first, but, um, my, my two older ones are boys and my youngest one, she's, uh, almost, she'll be two in March. She's a girl. And, uh, when we were expecting a girl, it all of a sudden, I started noticing all these little girls running around in their little dresses and their little pink clothes. And I'm like, Oh, I'm going to have that. So kind of a similar <laughs> thing there. So, okay. So first of all, I would, from a, a Scandinavian country or Nordic country, I would object very strongly at the, you know, getting uh, girls to wear pink, but you know, that's a completely other debate <laughs> that we could have at one point, but that absolutely like uh, when, when my wife got pregnant, uh, I started noticing babies everywhere it was like they showed up out of nowhere you know pregnant ladies were everywhere babies were everywhere i know the brands of the prams of everyone i'm like oh that one's a bugaboo blah 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 and it's much better than this for that reason but then it's also more expensive and like i you know it's weird how your perception of everything changes 
very strange. Um, but yeah, I, I've I've completely shifted over from the the, or I am in the process of shifting over from the part of the population that doesn't have babies <laughs> to the one that does, and I I'm really starting to feel like it's two distinct groups <laughs> that that you know you can't understand how it feels to be in the second one until you are, and and the things that felt ridiculously dumb before feel completely natural, so I don't know. Um, but hey, you know what? That uh, sort of leads us into one thing I wanted to talk about, which is vaccines, which is one of the uh, things we had a heavy discussion on in France. But before we do, I do want to do a little bit of, a, of my traditional uh, monologue, because still keeping with that... Um, idea of the anger mongers and people who try to make you angry and how we get angry all the time at social networks. I, I, I'm still exploring the idea of, you know, um, sort of the stress meter we talked about a few times and the fact that we should really try to um, evaluate the amount of stress and anger and frustration that a piece of news or an event uh, gives us so that we don't go to 11 all the time as soon as something upsets us a little bit, you know, and I think that's a fault that we have uh, on social media in particular. And one thing which I noticed, which I discussed on uh, the Daily Tech News show a couple of weeks ago, but I wanted to put forth here to hear you guys' thoughts on it, um, is this idea of a uh, an anti-bubble theory. Uh, because we've gotten used to the idea that we all, through social network, live in a bubble that sort of reinforces our views and our opinions. And we sort of have the impression that everyone thinks like we do. And that is certainly an element of our uh, life online. It's absolutely something that I think everyone agrees exists. But I've been, uh, you know, more and more thinking that there is also an anti-bubble, meaning that we are also exposed to opinions that are drastically opposed to what we think, because, you know, either we seek them out or they are, are surfaced uh, to us through algorithms. And so we get the impression that no matter what we think, the opposite view is also extremely prevalent. And so it's put in your face all the time. So it gets you more angry all the time, even if that opposing view is actually very, uh, a very minor, um, you know, it's a maybe a vocal or non-vocal even minority. But since you're showered with that opinion, you get an impression that it's all around and that it's a much bigger problem, if it is a problem, than it actually is. And I think that basically in the same way that the bubble distorts your view of reality, the anti-bubble also distorts the, your view of reality, right? That it, it sort of makes you think that opposing views or extreme views or upsetting views or whatever the the negative aspect is those views are very prevalent when really they might be uh, the voices of a few that is exaggerated through that exposition you have in uh, social media. Maybe in the same way that uh, 24 hours news networks makes you give you the impression that everything is falling apart and you only have bad news because that is what is interesting. Obviously, bad news is what you want to hear because that's naturally what you're interested in. You don't, you know, it's not as interesting to hear, well, today everything's fine. So that creates the impression that everything's bad all the time when really it's probably not. 
And again, the anti-bubble. So to me, it's not like the anti-bubble is something that we should absolutely fight, although it's probably good to uh, find ways to, to manage it a little bit, but at least being aware of it, that when you get those opposing views that bombard you constantly, realize that doesn't mean the whole world holds this view that upsets you enormously. So I don't know if you guys would agree that there is an anti-bubble. I definitely agree, think it, there is. But uh, what do you think, Tony? I I think there is. Um, I've got my tweet deck open right now, and I, I sort everything by my uh, groups and columns and Twitter. And I can tell you, uh, just looking at it right now, I've got uh, five columns in front of me. I've, and I can tell you where my bubbles and my anti-bubbles are by the columns. I've got my banking and fintech, which is kind of a, as far as um, political views, that's going to be my anti-bubble a lot, surprisingly, but it, it's more fintech than banking. So a lot of those fintech people don't really agree. My miscellaneous stuff is my bubble. That's the more politics. Mm. And it's the people that I'm, are, they're on my page. And then I've got a blizzard stuff. And guess what, Patrick? A lot of those people think the opposite of me. <laughs> <laughs> and then my, my geeky stuff is my anti-bubble. And then my friends is my bubble. So I actually, yeah. I think I've talked a little, bit, a little bit about this in the past with the difference between Facebook and Twitter. Uh, the people that I really um, follow on Twitter is more my anti-bubble. It's the people that really think the opposite of me and the people on my Facebook, my real life people that are in the same area as me geographically, they're my bubble. And they're the people that really kind of agree with me on most things. Mm. Well, I, I, you know, I noticed that you're already using the anti-bubble as a term that's established and, and that's factual. So thank you for, <laughs> you know, transitioning <laughs> into the agreement that they exist uh, so quickly. What about you, Louis? What, what do you think about this? Is it completely um, ir <laughs> irrational thinking or does it uh, make sense? You have to unmute, unmute yourself, by the way. Yeah, I, <laughs> I have muted. Um, no, I, I agree with you. Uh, we sometimes get so holed up on uh, some news, and I see that on Twitter a lot, that uh, the people I follow talk about something, and uh, we forget that uh, it's, it's just a group. It's not, uh, it's not representative of everyone. Mm -hmm. And I have the same experience with Facebook. If I'm going to my Facebook book group, which are my, which are my friends, the news are different and the content is different. When I go to Twitter, that are the people I follow and uh, mostly are in other countries. I have a completely different uh, set of news and, uh, well, sometimes uh, not just news, but uh, people talk um, very excitedly yeah. <laughs> about some topics. They don't uh, refrain a lot. They they say things in a way that I don't think they would if they were meeting someone face to face. Um, it's yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, that's, that's a good, that's a good point as well. Um, the anti-bubble is opinion, but also uh, tone, right? Because it exposes you to anger much more than, and that's general on the internet. I think that's not anything new, but it's interesting to, to put a name on it or to notice it. The tone is also incredibly uh, different than reality 
is. Uh, if you if you were to talk about the same topic with someone, maybe you would get frustrated or angry, but certainly not go off as as some people do on on all topics. So, anyway, it's not like a revolutionary idea, but I think naming it uh, gives us a way to to refer to it and to understand it. So, I think the anti bubble is something we should be mindful of when again we get into that anger frustrated mode and stuff like that. I but, don't know uh, if I if I can interrupt you, but for example, oh, of course, uh, please. I know a few, I'm an atheist, but I know a couple of persons that are uh, creationists in the sense they believe that the world is 10,000 years old and you know, everything that goes along with it. And uh, when I'm with them, actually I know three persons, and when I'm with them personally, uh, it's not a problem. We have very different worldviews and we tend not to talk about it, but there is no problem. We get along just fine. But when something like that comes on on social media, it just erupts. It's, it's nobody is capable of moderating of moderation. It's mm. it it blows up. Yeah, I think that there, that's definitely a, a, a social media problem in general. Or writing, you know, in email back in the old days when we used to have email chains and group email chains, um, people would get angry in the same way, and we sort of learned. Uh, that through email, you know, after a few years, you were like, all right, things get out of hand in email. So maybe we should maybe stop talking about this or maybe take a step back or, but we haven't learned that on how social media works uh, yet because it's so new. I I hope that at some point we will learn, but um all right, uh, let's move on from that to our local headlines. And I think the first, there are two I want to talk about. The first one uh, is going to be relatively quick. It's something that made a little bit of noise in uh, in France, but not a huge amount of controversy. But I suspect it might um, evoke some controversies to other listeners from other countries, uh, especially in the U.S. And that is the fact that the government has mandated additional uh, mandatory vaccines uh, starting in 2018. There used to be, it's, uh, of course, vaccines for uh, children and, and babies. Um, there used to be three that were absolutely mandatory, and now they raised uh, the number to 11. And of course, it's in the context of the issue of people who don't want to vaccinate their children for the, uh, you know, very much disputed idea, or I would go as far as to say the social, uh, the, the, the urban myth idea that it causes, uh, autism and, and other issues, which is, has absolutely no basis in in any scientific work um and so there have been some people who have started saying in france oh you know maybe i shouldn't do it or maybe i should you know you should spread them out because there's too many at the same time which makes no sense um but so the idea has sort of becoming become a, a small uh, point of discussion here and there not a big issue but the government has said all right you know what this is actually a public public health problem um if you don't vaccinate your children and if that becomes a trend then it puts the entire population at risk not to you know mention your own child so this is a public health issue we're going to mandate additional vaccines because those are the ones that are absolutely necessary and there's no discussion um and because 
the logic behind it is very sound, I think. It didn't create a huge discussion. There are people who are saying, you know, oh, but what if you don't want to and stuff like that? And it's like, well, <laughs> too bad. That's how it is. And that's the... Pred- uh, it's sort of the thing where it could become an issue if sanity didn't prevail. And sometimes it doesn't. In France as well. I mean, I'm not trying to point out issues like this in other con- countries only. In in many uh, cases, there are, there are debates where you look at things in France uh, as well, and you're like, how is that even a debate? You know, because it, it doesn't make sense. But... In this case, in the case of vaccines, it's not a, a huge debate, I would say. There are people who raise their hands and they're explained why uh, it should be done like this. And usually the, the debate dies down uh, there. So, and I know vaccines are a controversy in other places. So I suspect that might be a, a piece of news that is uh, discussed in uh, in in some American circles, because I know that's a a hot topic. But uh, I guess that usually it's a debate on the left side of the aisle. So I guess, Tony, you you wouldn't have a problem with mandatory vaccines uh, for kids when it's proven to be uh, necessary. But maybe I'm presuming. Nope. No problem here. Give them vaccines so they don't get the disease. That's that's where I fall on it. Now, I don't have a problem with other people that don't want to vaccinate their kids, but I think it should be they have to if they want their kids to do those public things like go to school and play sports and things like that. Right. But since school is mandatory until, what, 16, I guess? Um, um, I, it, if they homeschool, they wouldn't oh. have to. Uh, but if, yeah, if they want to go to public school, um, get them vaccinated. That's right. just my opinion. <laughs> yeah. No, I guess that's a, that's a somewhat reasonable compromise. If you have to find a compromise being the socialist, uh, that I am, I would say, well, they have to go to school and they have to get vaccinated because otherwise the population as a whole suffers. But yeah. Um, Luis, what, what about you? Is that even a, a debate or a question in, uh, in Portugal? Well, in Portugal, is more like like France. We have to get vaccines to when we we get we go to school, and they are mandatory. You can't even uh, you can't go to school without vaccines. It's something that disaster. Right. And for a long time, it was never a problem. It was never even questioned. You know, there were vaccines. They were great. People were dying less. And lately. It's not some. It's it's not a problem, but there are already some move, some anti-vaccine movements. Some people that are saying that it should be a choice; they shouldn't be forced to vaccinate. And it's not like in the U.S., but it's starting to get a bit uh, worrying because mm-hmm. it's getting bigger. And it's a bit strange because if if they were harmful, we would have known. I mean, we know they are good for us, and we are taking vaccines for a lot of decades now. And there is a lot of data, but people somehow now feel that a vaccine is not natural. Although I say I think it's pretty natural. We're getting a a virus and exposed to a virus and uh, creating defenses for it. But uh, so far, uh, but right now, yeah, there's a little bit of an anti-vaccine movement and starting to be talked on the news. And uh, it's not worrying yet, but I'm 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 scared that. Will get worse because it's also 
it's it's also uh, the use of uh, homeopathic vaccines and medications it's also on the rise mm. and they kind of go along with each other it, it would it was something that in, a couple of years ago i thought it was just a discussion in, in the us yeah. and now it's getting here yeah, it's it's the same here in France, but I don't think it's gaining too much ground. The debate exists, but I, but, uh, yeah. Yeah. but I do. Th- I'm, I don't agree. I, I understand that people want to have the option, but vaccines uh, work by herd immunity, so they need to be mandatory. Most people need to have them for them to work. It's not just one thing that uh, it's. I can understand someone who feels like they are violating their individual rights. But if you don't take a vaccine, it's going to affect other people's lives, not just yours. So I can understand why they are government mandated. And I'm on the, as you can see, I, I think that everybody should have to yeah. take vaccines. I, I think the, the very frustrating thing, I think people don't realize what happens when you don't get vaccinated and then you get smallpox or some other type of horrible disease. Um you know, meningitis or uh, uh, whatever, you know, those uh, ish, those, those illnesses that would kill thousands and hundreds, you know, and if you get it and your kid get it, it's too late. And anyway, so this is one of those things where I'm like, yeah, I'm I'm good with mandatory vaccination. And I'm sorry, person who thinks it it's going to do some weird unexplained thing to your kid but there is no basis for that thought it's just you feel that way and as we've discussed many times (laughs) i don't think that should be the basis for that kind of very um difficult decision or controversial real consequences yeah I mean, yeah, and and then we get into a whole other debate. But the point is, in France and apparently in uh, Portugal as well, most people think, well, yeah, I'm good with that. So that's kind of a positive thing for me. The other piece of news I wanted to mention, which was by far bigger than um, the the vaccine thing or anything else that happened this month, and I think that's going to be really interesting for uh, our American listeners, is the, um, well, I was going to say untimely, but he was somewhat uh, old, uh, death of our biggest music star, by by far the biggest French music star uh, ever, or maybe not ever, but at least from the past 50 years, um, who is called Johnny Halliday. And that name, of course, will sound very much American to uh, many people. And that's because his name is very American-inspired. He is... He was um, 74, I believe, now. And he's been a star since the 60s. Um, since the early 60s. And he was uh, uh he's someone who brought american music in france through translation he would never sing in english he would always translate his songs or have them written in french um but he was the rock and roll you know um uh, uh star from france from the 60s who would sing in france uh, in french and I've always thought he was this 
slightly you know older he was basically my parents generation's star and i always thought he was like has been or kitschy or but he would fill stadiums like i don't know who to compare him to um in the u.s because i think in the u.s even your old generation stars do have some kind of reverence from the the younger generations but this guy was a little bit like mocked even by the younger generations but throughout the years his popularity never waned and he would fill stadiums with aging fans of course who would like wear leather jackets and be all like hell's angelsy which is in france it's the most ridiculous thing ever like your hell's angels and you're going to buy a baguette and drink your glass of wine it's like it makes no sense uh, but it, it was a trend like they do exist in france and of course he wasn't just uh, the idol of those uh, types of, of people, but he was certainly rock and roll in the 60s, 70s type of rock and roll um, uh, stars. And the thing is, for as um, uh, old-ish as he felt to me, he certainly... Um, I felt something when he passed away. Um, he was such a big part of the French culture and French environment It was it was sad, even for me, who never cared um, when he when he went and he got national um, uh, funerals and and it was by far the biggest the biggest thing. So I'm on his Wikipedia uh, page here. Um, he did 79 albums. He over 3000 concerts, um, 29 million uh, concert goers in total uh, over all of his years. Um So his his um uh sales uh, CD sales or disc sale record sales are at 110 million uh units uh over all of his uh career at the time of his death. So he was a huge huge star. And I've always thought oh he's trying to you know be American but he's really French and that's kind of dumb like what kind of name is Johnny Halliday when you're French, right? But it turns out when I was researching for this episode, um, he was uh, born in a family who, well, his, I'm going to summarize, but his kind of step uncle um, was an American whose stage name was Lee Holiday. And he had two family members who became the holidays in their uh, entertainment industry uh, acts. And that uncle uh, was calling him Johnny when he was young. Um, his real name is Jean-Philippe Smet, so very, very French. He's actually half Belgian. Um, but his step-uncle was calling him Johnny. And so he was completely legitimate in taking that stage name of Johnny Holiday. He was actually related to someone whose stage name... And there's an affectionate, uh, uh, you know, a sentimental relationship there. So when he died, I, I, I researched this and I sort of found that... He was much more genuine, I guess is the term, than I have always thought in my um, entire life. And he was always in the background. Um, and he, he, you have to recognize, if you, even if you don't like him, that he, he is, a, a, we say in French, a scene beast. Like he's such a stage showman and such a, a huge uh, uh, star. Like the, the thing I can compare him to the most is probably... Um, Michael Jackson, he certainly doesn't have the same kind of uh, contributions to music in his uh, repertoire, his catalog, but he was a, a 
equally big star in France. Michael Jackson is the one that created a similar um, reaction in France, but of course, Johnny Halliday was bigger. But um, yeah, so that is the the biggest news for the month in France by 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 far. I'm curious had you ever had you ever heard of Johnny Halliday in <laughs> in the U.S. or in uh, in Portugal? Maybe the U.S. I, I've never heard of him. I was trying to right. think when you were talking of who I would compare him to. Um, certainly not in music uh, style, because you said he was kind of the rocker, the Hell's Angels type. But uh, are you familiar with Jimmy Buffett at all? With whom? Sorry, Jimmy Buffett. Uh, no. Okay, so he is kind of like, like that older uh, '70s guy that's got a really strong following of older people mm. and uh, huge following of older people. They call themselves parrot heads. He does like the uh, like beach music kind of thing, um, but not really popular with younger people. So, uh, but probably not as big as what you're talking. Um, but no, I, I had never heard of him. Right. It doesn't surprise me. He's he's definitely very local. Um, and I'm looking at Jimmy Buffett's uh, page on Wikipedia. So just looking uh, uh, very quickly, it seems like he might be the same kind of age group. Um, I don't know if he's as big as you said, probably not. But um, yeah, it's probably a similar kind of relationship the country has to that person. What about you, Louis? You're closer to us uh, in France. Had you heard of Johnny Holiday? Um, I don't think so. Oh. Maybe there was some footnote on the news. Yeah. I, it's really, if it was probably mentioned, but, uh, yeah, I'm sure that no one was paying attention. Yeah. And it's, yeah, have, no, I mean, it, yeah, sorry, go ahead. We have kind of the opposite news, uh, because we had a, a singer that won the Eurovision contest uh, in, in 2017. And no, normally in Portugal, nobody cares about Eurovision, but like this time a Portuguese person won. <laughs> so it was important. And he had, um, he was expecting a heart transplant and he actually got one, um, I think a week ago. Oh, so nice. Okay. It, it was the opposite. Uh, people were happy because he, he, he managed to get heart transplant and things are so far working fine. Oh, good news. Yeah, I remember watching him. Uh he was he was so emotional during those. I mean, in in Nordic countries, uh the Eurovision contest is huge. So, obviously I watch it every year now with my wife and uh I remember him. I'm glad he got the heart transplant. Um all right, so that was France. What about America? What happened there? Well, I I was trying to decide whether I wanted to talk about the um, the tax bill or the, the fact that I was disappointed in Star Wars. I, I don't know which is going to trigger people more, so I'll let you. What do you think, Patrick? <laughs> uh, you know, Star Wars. I think we get very much the. Um, both opinions from uh, the internet already um <laughs> and even i think that is the one that that people can't be in a bubble for you you're gonna get both opinions no matter what so maybe we can talk about the tax bill because i suspect that some of the listeners might be in a bubble it, it maybe especially outside the u.s and since you're a conservative and i think many of the listeners might be um more on the um leftist leftist 
side, the liberal side, it would be interesting to have uh, that <laughs> discussed. So let's go sure. with the tax bill. All right. Um, so, yes, uh, within the past uh, week or two, we are... Um, Representatives have passed a tax bill uh, that reduced um, the corporate tax pretty significantly. Uh, went from around 40% to, I believe, 21% for our corporations, which really kind of puts it in line with some of those European countries. Um, we actually had one of the highest corporate tax rates in the world. Uh, so uh, we've dropped that down to about 21%. And it uh, reduced individual taxes for about 80% of the people in the United States. So there's a lot of people that are going to be seeing extra um, money uh, in their pockets. Um, there's a lot of people that there's a lot of misinformation about it. Um, a lot of people, it, it's very unpopular, uh, uh, has over 50% unpopularity um, because I believe that a lot of people didn't know what it was actually doing. Um, uh, more than 50% of the people thought that it was going to increase their taxes. Uh, so that's incorrect. It actually reduced the taxes for 80% of the people. Um, and I think a, a lot of that is from the way it was portrayed by our media, unfortunately. Um, and, you know, there's, there's long-term effects. Uh, the, the uh we're going to have to get our spending under control to um make this work you know in the future um but uh those are two separate things you know a tax bill and a spending bill are two different things so we need to now come with a spending bill to kind of recoup some of those funds that we're going to lose from the taxes lost you know shouldn't as a government you be doing it the other way around though <laughs> um You could, yeah, I mean, either you could say that, but right now, th this is a big win, I think, for Donald Trump. Tr Donald Trump. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> um, Donald Trump and the uh, the Republican Party, because you know, once people start seeing those extra dollars in their pocket, they're going to realize that this is benefiting them. And mm. you know, on an individual level, if you have more money you're going to be happy with happier with what's happening. Um, yeah. You know, another thing it oh, did, yeah, well, another thing it did, which I think is really important is it um, got rid of the individual mandate for health insurance. So those people that had to pay a fine for not um, having health insurance, that's not going to be a thing anymore. Oh, I didn't realize that was included in it, um, which is to yeah, me very, actually, Patrick, um, I saw someone on Twitter uh, just the other day. Uh, he was complaining because he his insurance. He he is a uh, private contractor. Um, his so he has to do his own uh, insurance. He doesn't have it through an employer. He was complaining uh, that his insurance had gone up so much. I think he said it had gone up forty five percent, which was just ridiculous to me. Um, Uh, and that, by the way, would not be as a result of this tax bill because this was right around the same time. So things don't work right. that quickly. Um, and he was saying that he thought that it was going to make more sense to him now to um, pay the fee, pay the fine uh, rather than buy the insurance. And I and a couple of other people uh, came back to him and said, Just so you know, you know, with this tax bill that had passed at this point, 
probably a thing anymore. So you won't have to do that. And um, I don't know that I actually saw him say this, but he's the kind of person that he probably was against the tax bill. So I, I found that a mm. little interesting. Well, I'm, yeah, I'm sure you can find examples um, everywhere that support or, you know, don't support your um, the way you look at things. Um, so first, for the corporate tax, just for context, I think our corporate tax is being aligned around 30% now. Uh, in France, I looked it up last night just for this talk, mm -hmm. and I think it was around thirty percent. Yes, yeah, yeah. In in France, it's around thirty percent. Now you have other uh, differences in France, like uh, healthcare, for example, is mandatory, so you do spend more money for your employees in order to provide them with healthcare and education. You know, we have a whole uh, a bunch of things that are included in your spendings for. Um, your employees. So I don't know if it can be compared one to one, but regardless, the 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 amount is thirty percent uh, corporate tax. The the it would get into a huge discussion about healthcare. Um, so I'm not going to get into it. But the dropping of the uh, fine for not subscribing to healthcare sort of means the whole system falls apart. Because it's like vaccines, you you know, it's like herd immunity. Healthcare doesn't work if some people who usually are the healthy people choose to opt out. So that is equivalent to saying, well, we don't want healthcare. It can't work if only, you know, that's like, and we've had that debate many times, so let's not have it again. But it's like insurance. If only the people who need it at the time they need it subscribe to insurance, then insurance doesn't work. Right. So that is definitely a concern for me. And I think a concern for uh, people who understand how healthcare works and understand the fact that it's necessary. You know, it's one of the few issues that I, I am very adamant about that healthcare is not something that I would agree there are. I mean, obviously, there are many opinions about, but I would say in my very humble way, in this case, we can discuss you know, the death penalty and ab and abortion and many very difficult issues. And I would say, well, yeah, there are two sides to it. To it. Healthcare, I think one side is plainly uh, misguided. So that is definitely a concern to me. The yeah, Can I... Oh, sure, sure, go ahead. You can, you know, on this show, uh, you interrupt me as many times as you want. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, Tony, uh, you said that... Uh, It was a good thing that people didn't didn't have to buy health insurance. Is that right? I, in my opinion, and I, I've t Patrick and I have had this conversation before as well. I tend to skew a little less to the far right on health insurance. I would be okay with some sort of national health insurance. However, the I feel like the the Frankenstein's monster that we have right now is definitely not the answer. If if I don't like the idea of the the government saying if you don't buy health insurance, we're going to make you pay this fine, and I understand that that is a funding for the people that do have health insurance to keep the cost to the government down, and so it's that's an incentive as well. Yeah, it is an incentive. Well, so an would incentive you, is giving you something. Yeah. So it's 
whatever the opposite of an incentive is. Um, so, so would you but, rather, would you be okay with a system where they would say, well, now everyone has to pay health insurance, period. And there's no fine or discussion or, you know. The system that I think I would probably be the most in favor of is uh, what the Swiss have, which I believe is a, a national health care, but you can, um, you can, Put, put your own into it to get better healthcare. I think that's probably where I fall. Oh, that's actually what we have in France as well. We have national basics, basically. Right. And you can, you can subscribe to very regulated, but additional insurance kind of, um, that can provide you with better, uh, services or whatever. So, sure. yeah. And, yeah, and I, I do want to reiterate. That I'm, I'm not normal. I'm not the normal conservative in my views on healthcare. Um, a lot of conservatives want it to be completely um, market driven. You know, the government has their hands out of it, and I, I see the the point of that because I do believe that if you know the doctors, uh, if there's that marketplace, the doc it, it incentivizes people to go into the medical field more than say just being paid by the government. So that's why I think that that additional part that you can get, like you say, the French and the Swiss have, I think that benefits that. Mm. Louis, you were you sorry we sort of <laughs> walked all over <laughs> your your points there, but keep going. No problem. I was just saying, uh, Portugal is pretty much like France. We have universal healthcare, healthcare, and uh, we we wouldn't consider it otherwise. But right. uh, then you also can, can subscribe to health insurance that help you pay for private practice, like uh, dentist, uh, eye doctors, you know, stuff like that, or even surgery if you want to. But um, it's pretty common to. I mean, if I'm sick. And I'm and I'm go in a go to the hospital. They will treat me no matter what. It's it's just how it works. I have to pay a small tax, but it's it's very small. Uh, if I if I want to go to the dentist, for example, dentist, uh, I would have to wait a long time to go to the hospital. So uh, most people will do that on on a private practice, and for that you can pay the fee or you can have health ins health insurance. An extra yeah. health insurance. It's, Sorry, it's kind of the same in France. Um, you can you also get basic service for many things. But if you want to go to the dentist, for example, you have private practitioners everywhere. And the, um, the, the social security will cover a certain amount. And above that amount, you'll have to pay out of your own pocket. So some private practitioners will provide the service for that amount or they will be more expensive. And so... It's not like you don't have any choice at that point. And I think that's one of the uh, illusions, fantasies that people have about that kind of system. You absolutely do have choice. In, in Finland, for example, um, I do have to say the private clinics, which there are a lot of, are, of course, much better than the public sector. And I understand how um, people who are in favor of p private healthcare say, yeah, but you want the good healthcare. Uh, but it's also very uh, misguided, I think, that we can get the quality of private, premium private healthcare for everyone. It's just, it's not feasible financially or in the system. So a good compromise is, is to me, the systems we have in Europe where you have a basic 
yes, not the great. The hospitals are a little dark or maybe not as fancy, um, but basic, available to everyone. And then you have the additional layer if you have the money. But that requires that everyone pays for the basic stuff. And some people are saying, well, I don't want to pay for the basic stuff. I want to pay for my private thing because I have the money. Um, but but I don't want to get too bogged down into the healthcare thing, although I see, uh, Tony, you have unmuted yourself, so maybe you want to add something to this. I also want to talk about the trickle-down uh, economy, which is, I think, the core of the uh, bill. Sure. The The last thing I'll say um, with the healthcare is I think there is a common misconception. And I, I think we kind of cleared that up with you, Patrick, uh, one of, on one of our previous discussions, because um, Luis mentioned that if he goes or if someone goes, they'll get treated. That's the same here. Um, we have emergency rooms. If you go in to an emergency room, you're going to get treated whether you have health insurance or not. So, um, that is so yes exactly no. that's the problem you have to pay for it and you have no. to pay. not in an emergency room they won't they can't turn you away from an emergency room for not being able to pay that's won't true but you have you to after that yes because, uh, ah, yes but not, not me if i go to an emergency room i'll be treated i won't be charged anything for it Exactly. And, and I get that that's the difference. I just think that there is also a misconception that, you know, our politicians, especially our, our left leaning ones, when they talk, of, uh, when we were talking about possible uh, repeal of Obamacare, we're talking about people dying in the streets. And that's hyperbole. We, we don't send, we don't check a wallet before someone gets treated in an emergency room and say, nope, you don't have money. See ya. They get treated. So, so it's not a situation of people dying in the streets. I'll okay, I'll agree with you that's definitely hyperbole, but the fact that you get bankrupt afterwards and that does happen, um if you don't, you know, because the healthcare system is made that way and also I'm maybe you you're going to contradict me on this, but I have gotten many many confirmations that yes, if you're in a in an emergency like I need to go to the emergency room now, or I'm going to die because I'm bleeding to death, they will treat you. But you can be refused treatment um, for, for example, the example that comes to mind is cancer. If you have a certain type of cancer or if you've, um, you've gone over your lifetime um, uh, amount, I can't remember the name for it, with your private insurance, Obamacare says you can't impose lifetime maximums, right? But if you if you do reach that lifetime maximum, which you do in in some uh, cases where the um, you know the the treatment is very expensive, you know cancer or other types of illnesses, then you won't get the medication. And if you don't have the money for it, you're not going to get it, right? I have. I don't have personal experience with that, but I believe you're correct. Right. Um, and. What the common uh, conservative viewpoint on that is going to be is that's what we have charity hospitals and charity for. Yeah, that I'm not so. <laughs> anyway, all right, we could we could discuss that for a long time. I, I think. Yeah, Lewis, you, you maybe you can have the final word on this and then I want to talk about the um, <laughs> the trickle down economy uh, idea. Uh, I was I was just going to say that the tax uh, for companies in Portugal it's uh, it depends on the size of the company 
but it goes from 17 to 21%. So it's a lot lower than in France or the United States. But right. uh, companies also pay, uh, also pay for social security. Uh, right. The employees pay a part of the social security, but the company pays another part. And it's, and that's a big, uh, a big part of the expense they have with an, with an employee. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so to talk about the core of the tax, I think what I've been hearing uh, a lot, and maybe that's my bubble, it's probably my bubble, but it's the fact that um, it is saving money to the rich and, you know, taxing the, the poor or cutting social security to save money for the rich or with the idea of trickle down. Uh, let's not debate the numbers. Some people say it's saving money millions for the 1%, which I think is the idea. Um, and a lot of people are saying, well, it's saving money to uh, Trump's friends, which again, the richer people are going to be- benefit more from those uh, tax cuts. It's it's pretty clear by the numbers. We can debate how, who is going to benefit from this and who isn't and where the line is drawn. I think it's also fairly clear that the poorest are not going to benefit from this because they don't really pay any taxes or not a huge amount of taxes to begin with. Um, but I think the core of this is this trickle-down economics idea, right? It's the idea that if you save money, for people and for the richest, then they're going to invest and then it's going to trickle down to the lower classes and they're going to benefit from it ultimately. Um, and I think it's pretty clear that it doesn't work. Um, and and I, that is where I, the, the, even the people who are trying to be analytical about this, we can all agree that that's the idea. And in theory, it would be great. But in practice, we've seen that it doesn't really work and the differences, and that's the biggest concern, I think, ultimately underlying everything. The concern is that the middle class is thinning out and the divide between the very rich and the poor is increasing. And that's a concern all over the world, but it's a concern that should be the core concern to everyone. If you don't have a strong middle class, then it's a recipe for social unrest and that's a very dangerous formula. But what do you think, Tony? You're you're on the more conservative side of this. Well, as far as and you're you're calling it trickle down economics, I'm going to call it supply side economics because trickle down economics is just is a derogatory term. It's not one that we've uh, the conservatives have ever used for that style of economics. Um, oh, really? That's how you, in, into my bubble I am. I thought that was the actual yeah. term. No, that's what the opponents of it called it as a kind of as a jab at it uh it's supply really? side economics I, and and one okay. of the reasons why people can't if you go to google and you can't find uh a lot of reasons why trickle down economics works is because you're googling trickle down economics um instead of supply side economics if you google supply side economics you'll find situations where it's worked and in fact the three major tax cuts that we've had in the past 40 years reagan bush and um no, I'm sorry, two. This is the third one. Uh, Reagan's boosted our economy and Bush's boosted our economy. They, they both did. Now, Bush's went into, a, um, went into the, the um, bank crisis, but 
those are two different things. Those were banks making poor decisions, speaking as a banker, that our bank didn't make poor decisions. Our bank was fine during this period. Those were big banks making poor lending decisions. So that's a, a different uh, side of the coin. But both of those Do you think they should have gone to Reagan jail, by the Bush. way? Do you think they should have gone to jail, the, the people responsible for those decisions? Just as a quick aside. When you say the people responsible, are you talking about the lender on the front line who made the lending decision or the CEOs that were um, kind of the, the steering the, ship. the overseer? Yeah, yeah, I would say the overseer. Uh, that's a good question. I don't know. Okay. I, I don't know. The All right. I, I don't, I don't want to, dis- to jail, distract it. It was, anyway. it was just a quick, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyway, both of those tax cuts resulted in an economic boom. Um, and, and I, you know, there are, now this is just a few, but there are many companies as a result of this bill being passed saying that they're going to either give bonuses, increase pay wages, or um, give numbers for the amount that they're going to reinvest into infrastructure and things like that. Um, yeah, but so, they always and, say and that. I can go Tony. through that list if you'd like. Well, I mean, they they've gone out on record and said Wells Fargo, and um, I've got my list here. Fifth I've third, seen... both banks, unfortunately, comp- competitors, but uh, they've both claim that they're going to ch- up the uh, minimum hourly wage to 15, which is something our left-leaning politicians want anyway. So they're mm. getting what they want in that sense. Yeah, but um, for a couple of companies, do you think it's really something that can be, you know, taking those few examples, taken to uh, the extreme of, like, the entire country? Well, I mean, I could. Uh, that's just two on my list of 10, okay. and that's what I've got right now. I mean, Okay, fair enough, yeah. And, you know, working, I, I, I'm a banker. I work for a bank. I'm not at the top of that bank, but I'm around uh, the upper part of the bank. I see how this works. If we have more income as a corporation, corporations, you know, the, the, the idea is that the evil idea is these corporations are just going to take this tax money and line their pockets with it. And, yeah. you know, they'd love to do that. But what, businesses, they're not in the business to maintain. They're in the business to grow. And the way you grow is to reinvest. So I know that we're probably going to look at new technologies that we can implement that's either going to make our customers' lives easier or make ourselves more efficient in an effort to grow our business, which is going to make everyone, all our employees are going to benefit from that. If we've got more business capability, we've got more money to make loans to our customers so that they can make more purchasing. They can buy more houses. They can buy more cars. They can get installment loans mm. to just do their so day-to-day. Yeah, yeah so, so, you, so this is basically the logic of supply-side economics. I, I really, I still, I'm still not sure trickle-down is a derogatory, derogatory, thank you, term, but... Okay, so supply side uh, economics—that's how it's supposed to work. But wouldn't you agree that over the past forty years, the middle class has thinned out, and we have more rich people and more poor people, and that's a concern. 
It would be a concern. I don't, I, I don't have that information. I don't know. I'm middle class. So <laughs> I wish I was upper class, honestly. Uh, that would be great for me if I was um, upper class, you know, and it would be horrible for me if I was poor. So, you yeah. know, um, but I'm right there in the middle. So uh, mm, things I, are about where they are for me. <laughs> I, I would say, I would say that is the biggest concern for me. Um, and it's becoming more and more of a concern because it it really feels like, and maybe that's my bubble or whatever, but it really feels like this is the bigger issue that not enough people are worried about. It's the uh, growing gap between upper and lower classes. And and that should be a concern for everyone. And And I think in a way, well, not in a way, it's exactly a concern for the people who are proponents of supply-side economics. Um, what they're saying is, well, yes, that's a problem. So you free up some capital and you free up that capital to be used by companies to be um, re-injected into the economy. And that creates a, a leverage to uh, lift up the the lower classes. And I think that is a sound argument, but I don't know that it's worked my impression in my bubble is that it doesn't work and um but yeah you're it's always good to hear the other people the other side's uh, uh argument and your experience in your bank is certainly uh something that is not to be discounted but uh, and i don't think that's a one-off you know that that's right, just right, of how course. business works and, and i can give you a couple of examples that I found, FedEx and CVS are both going to ramp up hiring. Or, you know, they're claiming, but, you know, when they make this public claim, that's kind of, you're kind of held to that. So if they go against it, whatever. But you kind of got to, in my opinion, if they make a public claim, then I'm going to say, okay, I'm going to believe that until I see otherwise. Um, they're going to ramp up hiring FedEx, CVS going to put 3000 new permanent jobs in place. So those new permanent jobs at CVS, that's to me, what's going to benefit the lower, the, right, yeah. you know, Un unskilled workers because, and yeah, right. Yeah. That, that cashier at a CVS is the person or, you know, a stalker or, you know, at a, at a CVS distribution center, a stalker there, those are the people that are, those are those unskilled labor jobs that are going to benefit. So that's how, this is supposed to work. And, you know, I can find economists that say it won't. I can find economists that say it will. I'm not an economist, so I can't look at the data and say and have a educated opinion. Right. But and, the and just problem clear, in my mind is I can find someone that says both things. So who do I believe? And, and that's the problem, I think. This show, I, I, some people are going to come in, come in the comments and say, oh, you should do your research and, and see how it actually works and have arguments for or against. And like, this isn't what this show is about. Um, there are unending arguments about this topic specifically of supply side economics or trickle down economics. Um, and, and the answer is never really super clear for people so i don't know that we here no matter how much research we would do on this specific topic among the the dozens we discuss every year would come to a definitive conclusion um but yeah the the idea is is rather to see how people are reacting on both sides 
to that specific news, which is the tax bill. And certainly you are giving us, Tony, the um, reaction of the conservative people that maybe some people on the other side might not be getting uh, expressed in that way. Um, Louis, I'm curious what your thinking is on all of this. Well, I, I think I'm on the same bu bubble than you, Patrick, because most of what <laughs> I saw <laughs> said that uh, it would benefit uh, the richest people, but it was very doubtful that it would improve the lives of the middle, middle class or the lower class, and it would uh, increase the deficit a lot. Uh, also, I, I understand the, the Tony position. <laughs> I understand Tony's position. But I would also like to know if, uh, okay, if this doesn't work, if four, four, four years from now, this, this tax break didn't actually improve the lives of the middle class or the lower class, would you be willing to reconsider? Sure, I'd be willing to reconsider. Now, I guess the question would be, how do we measure that? Yeah, like I said, course, yeah. both of these tax cuts that have happened previously, within four years, it's looked good you know, for the, the country as a whole, the economy has uh, been booming at that point. Now, are we going to have more jobs? Probably. So does, is that, is that acceptable? Um, I, I don't know how to measure that. You know, I guess you measure the income of everyone and see where it is, but I think the the issue becomes, you know, some people are going to say, well, yeah, but you got more jobs at CVS, which is a pharmacy for those who don't know in the US. A pharmacy meaning, unlike in France, pharmacy is not just uh, medicine, but a whole bunch of things. It's almost a grocery store. Um, but, so some people are going to say, yeah, you're going to create those kinds of jobs. But if you had a little bit more taxes and you uh, increased healthcare and education, then you would get people to not be sick and you would get people to be educated and to be able to find better jobs than CVS or whatever, you know, low, uh, uh, no skill or low skill work they can find. So I think that is where the uh, argument against would be. And I'm sure the left side would make that argument uh, quite strongly. And I, I could see that. And that certainly wouldn't harm the poor because they're not paying any taxes. Right. Yeah. Um, one of the reasons why you're going to see everyone say this is going to benefit the rich is because the rich pay all the taxes. Obviously. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> um, so if there's a tax cut at all, it's going to benefit them. But, you know, is that really, is it bad to, is, are we mad because it's benefiting the rich and they're rich and we're just mad because we don't think they should be rich? I mean, it's not a, it's not hurting the poor. In well, this situation, well, so, if there yeah, is no, less I, money, it's not, if, if there isn't money for healthcare and basics like that, it is hurting the poor. Yeah, but there are there is money for healthcare and basic. I mean, we have right now we have the healthcare. We just had the the conversation of whether or not you know, and in the past we've had the conversation of whether or not to repeal Obamacare, but it's still in place. Yeah, but you understand, you agree that it's broken, that it, it's, you know, that issue of some people being able not to pay for it is breaking it. And, and I, mean, I then, yes. Yeah. The, 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 then the question becomes, and I think that's the key question, and that's impossible to answer, but it's how much money is enough money? 
And at what point do you need more tax breaks? And does that is that more beneficial to society as a whole than in you invest that money for infrastructure and services for the entire country? And I think some people listening to me saying this from France, because I'm on the center slash center right in France, and I was just arguing a few uh, months ago that the tax for uh, wealth, the wealth tax in France is unjust. Because to me, that is double taxation. So you're taxing income. And then on top of that, you're taxing the amount of money people have after they, they've already been taxed on income. And there are a number of reasons why I think that wealth tax is, doesn't make sense. So, but I think those are somewhat different conversations because the income, I think, should be taxed, whether it's income from capital or from work or, you know, it should be taxed kind of the same for everyone with less for the poor. And I don't know, when I say the same for everyone, I understand that if you're more rich, at some point you can be taxed more, but I don't think you sh it should be more than half of everything you own or everything you gain, period. Like, it shouldn't be more than half, but then it's not... The question isn't, should... Do the rich have too much money? I think, as Lewis was saying, and maybe I'm, I'm, I should have just left it at that, if society as a whole is suffering and the people that have a lot of money get to have more money, and a lot is very relative, I think there's a question to be asked there. Uh, and I don't think that's the question. It's It becomes polarized immediately. It's like, oh, you hate the rich because they're rich and you're not. And and really, I don't think that's the core of the question. The, the question is, is the country as a whole having... And, and when you say as a whole, you're really talking about the poorest among the people. Are they having a decent level of life? And healthcare gets into that conversation. Unemployment gets into that conversation. Education gets into that conversation. And what concerns me the most in the trajectory that you're advocating for, Tony, is the fact that you're saying, yes, you get tax cuts. And hopefully, uh, supply-side economics benefit the entire country, including the poor. But then you have to make spending cuts in the, the, the budget of the state and the states. And that is a concern because you already have, I think, maybe I have an inaccurate uh, uh, image of this, but you already have ina inadequate healthcare and inadequate education and inadequate uh, unemployment benefits. So that's where the concern really is. You know, I think the, the, dis the discussion that should be happening is what is the minimum every citizen should get in your country? And and that's the and then you go back from that and say okay what do we need to do to make that happen and i don't think that's a conversation that's happening in the country and that's a problem can i add just uh, something it's a bit of an aside but uh, oh tony sure go ahead that, and then we'll move on because we're yeah, not yeah, going to sure. solve that uh, issue tony mentioned that you can find an economist who has one opinion and an economist, economist who has a different opinion and that's true but we can't give uh, everyone the same. If 90% of the economists say one thing and 10% the other thing, 
it, they don't feel, they don't really have the same way. It's like um, a global warming. Uh, yeah, there are some scientists that say that there isn't, but 95, 97% of them say. And so it's accepted. You can't really value just one opinion. When there is a consensus, it's really hard to say, oh, but I have another person that says a different thing. Okay, but it's a minority. It's probably mm. wrong. Yeah, I would agree with that. I'm sure Tony wouldn't, including on, on global warming, right? <laughs> well, I, uh, no, I, I wouldn't say that. I'm oh, okay. not disputing that there is global warming. <laughs> I, um, I would, actually, guys, I would I, I'm very sorry. The, I'm very sorry. My doorbell is ringing and I need to go get it. This is the most terrible episode in history. Sorry. Be right back. Hey, I'm back. All right. Sorry, <laughs> keep, you were you were still discussing this. Go ahead. Okay, so I'm going to ask a really stupid podcast question, Patrick. Were we recording while you were gone? No, we were not. Sorry, so okay. you can repeat it. All right. <laughs> Great. So, um, I, what? Like I was saying, I I wouldn't necessarily dispute global warming. It seems like the um, the the data definitely supports that things are getting warmer. I I guess my question wouldn't even be that whether or not humans are responsible for it it would uh, my only question would be to what extent are humans responsible for it and how much can we um change it with what uh, kind the, of effort? the old switcheroo um well <laughs> all right that's a whole other debate <laughs> okay um i would have a, a, an answer for this but we're going to move on um and we are going to be actually let me give tony the last word on the the tax bill if you want if you want to to say something at the end of my long speech about basic needs for everyone but you don't have to um and then we're going to go to tony in portugal well i i would finish up by saying that there's no part of me that wants people to live in you know poverty um i i would like to see the basic needs of everyone met at the same time uh, we are in a, uh, a a capitalist country where if if you work hard and you know earn what you earn i feel like you have some uh you should be able to keep a good portion of that and you know i, I don't have a problem with the the rich people speaking as a not rich person um being rich, you know, that I, they, they've got there somehow, whether it was through their own work, through the work of their family or what have you. So I'm, I'm totally okay with them, uh, enjoying the, the fruit of their labor. Yeah. I, I do think that's a, that is kind of a, an argument that perverts the debate because I don't think anyone is saying we want the rich to be less rich. I mean, in France, maybe some people are saying something like that, but the debate is, it, that's why I shifted the, the, the question to, does everyone in the country have a decent chance at everything? You know, the American dream. I, and for, first of all, I would say that there are definitely some of our farther left politicians that want the rich to be less rich um mm. over here uh but secondly yeah but it's a consequence I, of something a larger debate it's not like i hate the rich right yeah especially since they probably are rich <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the right. ones yes, you get screaming right. that yeah. very um, likely yeah 
but also I think that there's a very real capability to achieve the American dream. Um, that it's just circumstances win against people, and that's not the American dream fighting against them. It's they've had these bad circumstances. Their you know their their families have had these bad circumstances. That and. I think that the American dream is very real. You can find people in every aspect of American life that can achieve yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. I, agree. I, I think should... those people should be propped up yeah. for those other people as examples, you know, so that they don't get down mm. and think that it's impossible. I agree. I think, I think the American dream was maybe also something that diverted me saying that diverts the, the actual question, but anyway, all right. We, we, again, as often, we could be talking about this forever. Um, let's go to Lewis in Portugal. What's happening in Portugal? What happened uh, this month uh, down there? Well, it was uh, there was two main stories. Should I should I choose one, or I'll talk about both of them? Uh, you talk about the biggest one, and then the smallest one quickly. Okay, uh, the bigger one is really just a, a local story because it was about uh, an ONG dedicated to mental and rare diseases that was founded in 2002. And there were some even camera recordings that uh, showed the president of the institution uh, having a, a very prepotent uh, attitude of superiority and... Uh, she well, she came off wrong on those tapes, and that made a lot of t people antipathize with her. And uh, wait, what, before, what did she do? What did she do on those tapes? You have to tell us exactly. Oh, she, uh, yeah, it's, it's it's hard to say because the tapes didn't really reveal much. She was just uh, talking to people, so it was the way that she was talking that people didn't like. Okay, uh, this this goes to a whole other story. It just started this way. It started more because that um, there were some some suspicions of bad management, but what really kept people what really captured people's attention was uh, her posture, her demeanor. Okay. And after that, well, there was uh, every day there were more news about it. And for example, she has a uh, her husband and her son working for the institution, uh, making it almost a family business. Uh, which, uh, just to clarify, she created the organization and it has done valuable work for the community. But most people think that it does not justify her behavior. And but then, sorry, I, I'm sorry, you have to explain what the behavior is because it's very, very difficult to understand what happened. Oh, it's... it's <laughs> was she insulting well, people? Was she... Like... Well, she, yes, she was insulting you. Yeah, basically. Well, there were several things. There were... Uh, emails and there were images and um, on the image parts yeah she was like um, she was talking to people like she was a step ahead of them like they were less than her mm. and okay. that's that was the meat of it uh, the problems were what uh, other people uh, what uh, came to light in result of it well, for example that um, oh she has a family working for her they receive a few thousand euros in Portugal that is very much And for example, they released an email where she was complaining that uh, her husband was uh, paid very little, and that didn't go, go over well. Mm. Uh, so, what does also, the organization do? What does the ONG do? And they dedicate to mental, mental and rare diseases. 
Okay. And they help a lot of people. They help a lot. I think about 800,000 people in Portugal. So okay. they have an impact. Uh, but after this images came out, there was generate a lot. Of, they generate a lot of buzz, and so there were a lot of investigations. And we find out that uh, she receives a, a three thousand dollar, a three thousand euro paycheck, plus thirteen uh, hundred uh, euros for general expenses. I don't know. I think it was fifteen hundred for travel expenses. Plus uh, a car and traveling, plus car expenses, a retirement plan, stuff like that, which maybe wouldn't bother people on another situation. But since this is a this is a charity, when the people that run charities receive, even if it was deserved, deserved, even even if she deserved to deserve the money, when they receive, uh, when they are paid a lot of more money than most people are, and they are in a charity, it doesn't look good. It doesn't look good. Mm. And in Portugal, we we were you know, we had a recession like everybody else, but uh, it was particularly hard here. And he had uh, at that point eighteen percent unemployment. Now it's it's gone down to nine percent. Um, but uh, most people still earn about five hundred twenty euros per month. That's five hundred twenty is the average wage. No, it's not the average. It's the minimum wage. Oh, the and, minimum. Uh, okay, yeah, yeah. That's course. before taxes. <laughs> But a lot of people here earn the minimum wage, so they get offended when they say when they when they say when they saw someone that earns thousands of euros per month that runs a charity with mm. uh, money from the government and from donations, uh, complaining about the salary. Right. Um, What's the name of that uh, organization? Rarissimus. <laughs> right. Okay. It's it's uh, it would be in English. It would be something like uh, rare. Right, right, yeah. Because it's rare diseases. Okay, so makes sense. After that, they 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 interviewed some ex managers of the institute of the of the institution, and there were a lot of um, expenses. They were suspicious, like uh, dresses, supermarket uh, checks, fictitious uh, mm. travel expenses, uh, stuff like that. For example, she also is the president of another association, and she used the car of one of one of them to to get uh, when she was working for the other, so she could put the the expenses of the travel on the other uh, institution. And when she was going to work for the other one, she would use the car. She would invert, so she could receive from both sides. Mm. Although she had a car from both companies, from both right, uh, right, ONGs. Right, right. So, so what's happened in the end? Well, it it's got it's gotten complicated because um, they because they have um, they don't have a very solid uh, finances, and uh, they have on those years they had uh, they are they were running a deficit. And they got oh, wow. more money from <laughs> they got more money from the government to stay afloat, and mm. that's another of those problems because it, it actually it uh, there is a, it's not just private money. The government uh, gives them uh, I think um, well I don't remember I think it was about eight hundred thousand euros per year, so it's still a, a lot of money. Okay, and there was also uh, they have a contract with uh, well it's now the, the health minister of Portugal. And he was receiving 30,000 euros per month. At the time, uh, 
when they were ha- they didn't have money to pay salaries. And this conflict of interest with the politics and the private institution, it really raised a lot of questions and it made people, it made people a bit, um, how can I say, uh, suspicious. Yeah, of course, of course. Because uh, the institution has done good work and it's a good institution, but they, they will have a lot of problems having receiving donations right now. And it yeah. actually reflects on other institutions because people get, to, well, I'm going to donate money from the institution and they're going to spend on themselves. On, they're going to spend them, the money on themselves. It, it's really got, um, mm. it's gotten bad. So I, it, I wonder, sorry. Yeah, go no, ahead. Go. I wonder, Tony, how would this be received, especially on the, I mean, there are, there are a lot of other issues being discussed here, but the fact that someone from a charitable organization would be getting, you know, six times the salary, uh, the minimum wage salary for their work there, I wonder if that would be a scandal or that would be regarded sort of not very favorably in uh, the US or or if, you know, it's like, well, you need good people to make that thing run efficiently. So yeah, you need to pay them well, even for a charity thing. Yeah. So you said two things, would it be a scandal or would it be looked upon poorly? I don't think it would be a scandal because we have many charities here that have uh, CEOs and things of that nature that are paid well, like you said, to to um, captain that ship and make sure it's run well. Um, me personally, I don't like it. And uh, that's one of the reasons for me, I- I'm pretty aware of where I give my money as far as charity goes. For the most part, I work through my, my local church on that. Um, mm. But there are a couple of organizations that I've looked at and I, I see how they work. And I know that for the most part, I like to stay local with mine. Um, so, uh, you know, some of those organizations that keep the money in the area that I'm in, I, I contribute there. But, um, yeah, right. we have a lot of charities that have a lot of CEOs and boards and things like that. So that that's much maybe much more common here since it's a big scandal there. Right, right, yeah. Yeah, I, I can say that it started because of the of the of her attitude and the money that she was receiving. But it then went on for the suspicious expenses, travel expenses, everything like that. There was right. There so was so it went to places smoke. where where no one would consider. Well, that's probably okay because they're good at their job. Yeah, right, it's, right, it's right, fraud. Yeah. It's yeah. it's actually fraud. But it, it okay. Yeah. Um, okay, so that's one. I would say in France, it would probably be uh, more similar to what's happening in in Portugal. I think if someone was paying, being paid exorbitant amounts for their work in a charity organization, and I mean, definitely fraud would be a problem, but that they would at the very least be regarded as, uh, that's probably not a good thing. Like if you're paid let's say 3,000 euros, okay. If you're paid 15, then it's not awesome. Um, maybe it happens, actually, I don't know. But um, it's, I don't think it would go on very well if it was um, put, put out in the media. And the other thing you, you wanted to mention, uh, Luis? The other, the other news topic? And you have to unmute yourself? 
Oh, sorry, I was talking, but <laughs> 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 well, there's just a couple more other big things. One, it was that we had the fires in the, in the summer, and for the first time in decades, there were a lot of people that died. And uh, we had one in June that killed about 64 people that got caught. They were trying to run away. And Is it forest fires? Uh, wildfires, I think. Yeah. I don't know if I should call it wildfires or forest fires because they're, mm. it's not wild. It's, 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 it's eucalyptus and pine trees that were planted on purpose. Oh, okay. And they belong to people. We, we have a lot of um, eucalyptus here because we produce paper. And it's a way of most people having a few more extra uh, extra euros. If they have a small uh, a small piece of land, they plant eucalyptus to to sell for the paper company. Oh, so it's like private, like people planting them to have additional income. Yeah, mm. basically, it's it's almost the only way you can get. Uh, we have uh, most people only has a very small piece of land. So agriculture is out of the question. And this is basically the only way they have to, to have some small additional income. Mm. It, the problem is that it's, we have a summer that it's hot and uh, with uh, almost no rain. Right, and right. we planted uh, eucalyptus all over the country. And it's a very flammable tree and it's a monoculture and it's continuous. Mm. So this it's 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 always a problem. But this year we had one big fire that killed um, sixty four people that got caught. They were trying to run away, and there was about a half a kilometer, and they got caught in, in the road and they died. And that was a very big scandal because the 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 entities that were responsible to prevent it, not the fire department, but the ones that uh, had to evacuate the people and work ahead of of. Uh, because there were provisions that that could happen due to the climate. But uh, it was a big scandal. What happened is that it was in October, there was another big fire, or a lot of big fires. It seems that uh, half of the country was burning, and another 45 persons died. And wow. it was really tragic. And there was a, a lot of people that didn't die, but they got homeless. So now it's Christmas, and there was a lot of talk about what the government was doing to help those people. And they are getting there. Most of them are getting help. The government and charities are working to rebuild houses and to give them money and to help them uh, survive and for, for a while. I don't know how long this will last, mm. but the, the government here is really pitching in. It's really doing, doing what we feel they should. Because uh, I think in the U.S. it would be different. But here you can say it's a natural catastrophe. But we, we believe that the government has the responsibility to help the people. Especially because there were very big flaws on the, on the government side that let this happen in the first place. I'm, I'm sure a lot of our American audiences are going to be looking at uh, the U.S. and Puerto Rico's side <laughs> um, yeah i was thinking about that yes mm, yeah that wouldn't be acceptable here we i don't think in france it would be either uh, I, i believe people think the government has a responsibility to help to help the population yeah i, I think America. so the the one element i don't really know um is how much the government is actually doing um to help puerto rico 
and I'm sorry for my pronunciation. I just tried to, yeah, um, for Puerto Rico. And, and I, I mean, I don't know if Tony knows more, uh, but the impression I get from here is certainly that uh, not enough is being done and the, the country, big parts of the country still don't have power or water of the country, of the, the island don't have water or, or power and things like that. And I don't know if, it, if enough is being done, but certainly if the situation was happening like this in, in France, it would be in the news a lot. And um, it, there would be public, I don't know if I want to say outrage, but certainly the public would be upset. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know if you have more insights on, on that, um, Tony, or if you just... No, I, I really don't know exactly what the situation is there. I know that we've got troops in the area helping, and I know that we've got engineers in the area helping, but I, to how many and to how that compares to is it enough other disasters, enough? Yeah. yeah, is it enough? I don't, I don't know. I think that's, that's telling, um, actually. I, I, that's speculation on my part, but I think if the same thing was happening in France or maybe Portugal, um, it, we would know, right? It would be in the news and that would be a, a, a concern. Um, certainly when, you know, we have uh, uh, former colonies or like places in the, um, uh, in the ocean that are French, I don't know what the term is in English, um, and when problems happen there, they are very much in the news. Maybe that's me being a little bit uh, um, optimistic, saying, oh, of course, they would be in the news months after. And if the things weren't fixed and they would be talked about all the time and maybe it wouldn't be the case. But that's the impression I, I get. But um, Well, in, in here, that this dominated the, the news for weeks in, on both occasions. And it's still, right. we still talk about it. So, yeah, it's really important. Mm. And we even get a lot of coverage on Puerto Rico and Portugal. Oh, right. Well, yeah, that's, that's that's interesting. I think it's also maybe a little bit different because it's, you know, in the country. Like, obviously, Puerto Rico is part of the U.S., but it's still an island that's off the mainland. And I don't know how... I think if it was Corsica, maybe that would be a good uh, comparison to France. If it was Corsica, I'm pretty certain... Um, it would be in the news all the time. But anyway, that's that's speculation there. Um, all right. I think that is going to be it for this uh, for this episode. <laughs> Can I just say one more thing? Oh, sure. Of course. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a smaller news, but our finance minister was elected to the Eurogroup to lead the Eurogroup next, uh, next year. Okay. Starting January. And that was also... A bigger news because it kind of um, gave some legitimacy to the government we have now because it's a coalition government. Mm. It has a it has a, a center party that for the first time ever uh, made a coalition with uh, the communist party and the left wing party, and uh, nobody was expecting that this coalition would survive. Mm. And it turns out it's 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 working okay. And um, this was also, you know, used by the government to show how how good how good how good of a job they are doing. Because, well, they invited our our finance prime minister, our finance minister. So it's it's recognizing the job, the good yeah. job that the government is doing. <laughs> it's 
ah, coalition governments, how I love you. It's really like, <laughs> you know, I, I don't have a, a, on principle, uh, I'm not a proponent of coalitions. I think it can be a little bit difficult if those, because to work together is not always easy. But in today's climate, I think coalition governments that work, obviously, are are very much needed. Um, I would I would love to see some form of a coalition government. It, I mean, by design, it cannot work in the U.S. But it would be amazing to see, you know, the left and right have to work together somewhere. And well, in theory, they have to everywhere all the time. And I think they do more than than we think they do. Like we all, always focus on the instances they don't, but. Uh, yeah, I love coalitions okay. at the moment. This this was actually <laughs> bigger than that because the, we have two central parties that mm. normally win elections, and sometimes there are coalitions, but never with the left wing parties. The coalitions are always with right wing parties, the smaller right wing parties. Oh, right. and this time the the center party that made the coalition with the communist and left wing party, it's called the uh, left walk, uh, didn't actually won the elections. The we have a center-left and a center-right party. And the center-right party has the most votes, but the, the center-left party joined to the other two and got a, a majority. Mm. So it was, it was not a usual thing to happen in Portugal. Right. Uh, and, and it's just, working. So it's, yeah, it's working for now. For it's now. <laughs> not all good. but <laughs> It's not all good. But right. I would also like to, to, to clarify to Tony, for example, that uh, a communist party in Portugal, it's not the same idea that you have of a communist in the United States. It's, it's not like that. It's more about uh, protecting the people and the workers, but it's not a pure communist party. And uh, yeah. even our center-right party would be considered uh, maybe the Democratic Party in uh, in in the US. Oh, that's Maybe. always the case in Europe. The the center even the, right even, the, even the, yeah. the right like the cons are conservatives because as we always say in Europe most conservative uh, parties all of them like the right wing quote unquote like the right side the equivalent of the Republicans in the US in Europe they are all no one would dispute healthcare or public education or those things so yeah i think our our right-wing party would be considered the left-wing by by the americans because they they are proponents of the welfare state and uh, yeah. you know just yeah. like i said and look at what happens we don't have silicon valley we don't have like the leaders of the the the, the economy in the world in our countries see obviously well, you got me there <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm I'm only half joking. It's it's one of the arguments that says, yeah, you you might have some difficult difficulties for some, but the the brightest spots are much brighter than they are. I mean, it could be argued, of course, but well, we yeah. have the Nordic countries, Nordic <laughs> European countries that yeah. are have everything basically. Yeah, I think the Nordic countries are definitely the example I go to. It's it's usually a, an east west conversation between the US and Europe be showing pointing to one another saying oh but you do this and you do that i think that the we should be looking to the north that <laughs> they get it we now that i'm part of finland uh, kind of we get it um we have the best of everything tony that's something we need to be looking at 
Not, hey, not... I'm just going to say iPhones, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> I think well, that is an excellent conclusion. China, so. <laughs> <laughs> to what? Sorry, Luis? They are manufactured in China, so... It's true, true, but they could be manufactured, well, not anywhere, but still, I think no one is disputing that the iPhones come from the US, all right. Plus, we we are Europeans, but I think we admire a lot of what what the US is. We just don't understand other things. That's the other big question, isn't it? Can you get all of this without the downsides that I think everyone, or that we criticize? That's a big question. And that's a question for another time, dear listeners. Um, all right. That is, that is going to be it for this episode. I wonder if I should call it, uh, iPhones, you're welcome or trickle, uh, supply side economics. Well, we'll see. I'll <laughs> maybe the, the second one is more central to the, the discussions in the episode, but I really like iPhones. You're welcome. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right. That's going to be it for us today. Uh, why don't you guys tell us where we can find you on the internet if people wish to um, get more of you? So let's start with Tony. I know you're on Twitter. Yep. You can find me on Twitter at Tony Staley. That's pretty much the best and only place you're really going to find me. Excellent. Uh, the sh- the link will be in the show notes. What about you, Lewis? Where can we find you if we want more? Well, you can find me on Twitter at the other Luis. And if you want to listen to my podcast, uh, you go. You can go to toothysaber.com. Toothy Saber. Where does that even come from? Well, it's a podcast about uh, technology and science, but we focused a lot on Apple. And I don't know. It was my friend that had the idea. I think he was hallucinating a bit. But we both okay. liked it. Toothy Saber. It was, it was playful. And we liked yeah, it. I, but I don't see the, 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 the connection with, with uh, technology. Well, our first name was Pomegranate. So it, it didn't get any worse. <laughs> Pomegranate. I can see a fruit. Apple, maybe. Yeah, but, uh, that was the idea, yeah. the association <laughs> with Apple, but it was taken already, so we got to the server. All right. We, we both like kids. I don't know. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, thank you very much. The links, as I said, will be in the show notes. Um, you can find me at NotPatrick on Twitter and Facebook, and you can find this show at Frenchspin.com. As we playfully mentioned during the introduction, um, I don't know what's going to be happening in uh, January. Or actually, I know, but I don't know how the schedule is going to go. So we'll see how the next episodes go. There might be some disturbance in uh, the force of podcasting in the next few um, weeks. But uh, we will be back, uh, I think, at the end of the month. We'll see exactly how. Uh, but if you wish to support the show in the interim, you can do that at uh, patreon.com slash Club. It's a super easy way to support us and support the work we do in trying to get people to uh, have, uh, you know, rational adult conversations about difficult topics and uh, breaking all of those bubbles, you know, the bubbles, the anti-bubbles, the the, the super bubbles, all of the bubbles. And um, hopefully we do a good enough job at that and provide you with other views that uh, you want to support us. And if you do, you can go to patreon.com slash the Phyllis Club and uh, join the many wonderful people that already support the show. If you do that, we would be eternally grateful. And the link is in the show notes. Takes a couple of seconds, and you could be a contributor as well. 
Thank you in advance. We love you all, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye.